Welcome to Your Team with Sue and Steph. I'm Sue. And I'm Steph, and we're the co-founders and owners of Your Teen Media, the resource for parenting tweens and teens. And today, we're going to be talking with Delaney Rustin, the filmmaker and physician behind the award-winning documentary films Screenagers and Screenager Next Chapter, centering around the emotional health of teenagers and healthy screen time. So before we talk to Delaney Rustin, we're going to do a little bit of chatting about our own experiences with technology. And um, it's interesting, like Delaney, I've seen both her movies and I've skimmed her newest book. Her movies are Screenagers and Screenagers Next Chapter. And they're really engaging. It's really interesting. You guys should look it up and watch it. Um, But The thing that I'm keenly aware of in everything that Delaney does is there's this sensitivity to our kids that they are learning how to navigate this world of technology, but I don't feel like I'm any different. So I also always feel like, certainly in the beginning, like there were so many missteps in our family of things that we wouldn't have told you then, but now they're so benign to compare to all the other stuff that's (laughs) happening. (laughs) Steph, do you have a good story to share? So I had taken our daughter to get new bras and underwear. It's not so long ago. It's maybe two years. And... (laughs) Sue and I talk about that this might all. be too soon, Steph. Think about this. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's okay. It's okay. No, no. It's totally okay. Actually, we all, we all. I think we always talk about like it's accident. totally okay. <laughs> it's totally okay I, until it's I not. Think. Um, but uh, Sue and I always talk about uh, the where you forward the email to the wrong person, or or you think you forwarded the email to the wrong person. So just being like super careful about that, and like never putting anything in an email. Maybe you know that's a little off borderline. So I took my daughter to an unnamed store where I felt like they were not necessarily selling bras and underwear, but I felt like they were selling sex. So <laughs> my daughter is in there. First of all, the woman approaches us and she's got like all those like things like on her waistband. They look like the shots, like from those movies, like, but they're like perfume and stuff. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I was just like, you know, I'm such a feminist. I am just, I am not liking this vibe at all. Okay. But the woman's talking really really sweetly and asking my daughter lots of questions. (laughs) She goes into the dressing room and I'm standing there and she's, I can hear her helping her and I'm dying. And I'm like, and my sister has a daughter who's her oldest. And, you know, I think my sister had been waiting for me to get to these points just to be like, oh yeah, I told you so, you know? So I think I text my sister and I say, oh my God, like, I am so uncomfortable. Like I'm, you know, they're totally selling sex. And they're, and I just rant, you know, hit send or whatever. I don't know. Something makes me pull the phone back out. I've texted my daughter. All of that. <laughs> <laughs> so she comes out and um, I was like, okay, I got to fess up before she sees it, right? So we're walking out and I said, okay, I got to tell you something because you're going to see it. I was texting Aunt Lily. I was really uncomfortable. But I want to tell you, like, you know, I, and then it was funny because the woman said to her, like, you know, when she was trying to decide what to purchase, she was like, well, how do you feel on it? This is all about how you feel and what, how you feel about your body. Do you feel good? You know, that's, that's what's important. And she really did, like, like, I thought what she said later and I was like trying to dig myself out of a hole, but I was dying, just dying. Like, why did I send that? 
I think we have to we have to address the sending something to the wrong person. That's oh my such a God. it's such a in retrospect funny topic, but not when it happens when you're oh my God. you're like, how do I get it back? How do I like, retrieve oh, it? Right, right, right. <laughs> and then I'm like rereading it, and I'm like, I'm trying to dig myself out of the hole, and you know, and I just, I mean, we were my sister and I were totally dying because it was just I was my usual snarky self that I would temper a bit with my whatever she was, 15-year-old daughter at the time. Yeah, probably a good message to send her anyway. Maybe. You know, like, yeah, you know, you validate. She might have felt a little funny, and now you gave her permission to say that was kind of weird, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, what's your story? All right, so my story is we were out to dinner with some of our friends many years ago. They were all the parents of our kids' friends because, you know, with your older kids, that's how your social Mm -hmm. life is developed. I believe the conversation took place earlier about how to have this conversation because it was too, it was time too well. So someone brought up a scenario and the scenario was, what would you do if someone, if your kid went to someone's house and they saw a really inappropriate picture on the computer in that house. So we're all weighing in. Me too. I'm like, I think I would tell them. I think that's really bad. And so, you know, after this whole conversation goes on, someone bravely takes a deep breath and says, Sue, (laughs) it was at your house. So I'm like, what are you talking about? Of course it's not my house. Like, there is no way this is at my house. Dan and I are looking at each other. Oh We're my like, God. totally, what could be going on in our house right under our noses? Like, this is the time of one computer, family computer. Yeah, it almost seems impossible. Impossible. Yeah. I would bet money on this yeah. that we have this wrong, right? Yeah. <gasps> so then the other couples at the table go, yeah, our kids were all together at your house. <laughs> I said, and they all told you the same story? They're like, oh. Mm. (laughs) Anyway, what turned out was that, you know, of course, it's Dan and his childhood friend who have a little bit of this, like, uh, you know, delayed adolescence going on right now. (laughs) And this was a a bunch of years ago, before we really understood the technology. And so his friend had sent him a joke. The picture was of, a like, a surgically enhanced, um, very well-developed woman that, we would. I didn't want to see it. I definitely didn't want my kid to see yeah. it. I definitely didn't want my kid showing his friends. And so Dan <laughs> said sure? that I deleted it. And the thing is, he did delete it, but we didn't know then that there was a caching of things, that oh. you had to go to a second yeah. folder to delete, like, photos that were in the deleted folder. So, uh, yeah, that was, like, <laughs> what— <laughs> I mean, the thing is, you know, it's so hard to laugh when you're caught like that. You're oh, my like, God. And I'm and I am literally in the same page as they are. You call that family. I'm indignant that anybody's kid would have access to that kind of information. But over the years, when I think back to that story, I think about how I got to make mistakes on technology mm-hmm. because it was early enough that number one, I was older, so I had friends tell me, and it ended. But, like, our kids, that is out there so quickly. And maybe even for us today. Like, there's no hiding anything. No. I guess I would say that, like, yeah, it's it, in retrospect, it's a, it's a laugh story. But it's also, like, how do we raise these kids and give them a sense of responsibility while also doing the thing we talk about all the time, which is letting them make mistakes and learn from them? Well, it's been fun bantering about 
everything unrelated to everything. <laughs> and up next is Delaney Rustin, and you're going to hear a great interview with her. We can't wait for you to join us. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased, and essential world news daily. Delaney, it's so nice to have you here with us. And you have news. What's going on in your life? Oh, thank you, Sue. It's so great to be here. And it's really exciting for me to be now just have released a book, my first book. It's called Parenting in the Screen Age. And for me, knowing that it's being released right now during COVID is just such a just a wonderful feeling of helping parents in general right now because it is such a hard, challenging time. Yeah, and you didn't even plan for that. You couldn't have started the book six months ago, right? Oh, right. (laughs) Absolutely not. It is. Someone asked me the other day, like, what's harder, Delaney, making uh, films or doing a book? And I looked at them and I said, doing the book was so much harder for me. Yeah. All right. Well, the timing worked out really well, and we're so glad to be talking to you about technology and teens. Social Dilemma is out now, and parents are living this every minute, every day. We all know it's designed to hook us as users. So Mm -hmm. can you tell us why it's even more powerful when it comes to the tweens and teens and their brains? Mm, Absolutely. Well, I think that it's so important that we think, yes, about companies that are all based on not having to pay for their services, but that they're all about eyes on the screen. And the more that kids and teens are aware that they're being manipulated in these ways, it definitely helps them to start to want to self-moderate better. But also what's what also what's really important for us to know is developmentally wanting to be with their friends, sorting out how they fit in and where they stand socially. And then ultimately the joys that they're looking for, whether that's a laughter on a YouTube video or a video game, that adrenaline. And so, you know, one other point I would, what really surprised me in having done this research for so long is to learn that it's during the teen years that things that feel good feel particularly good, more so than when you're a kid and more so than when you're an adult. So the good upsides of what they experience from our tech revolution feels even that much better. So you touched on this about them wanting to be with their friends and everything is so abnormal right now and a lot is out of their control. So how do we as parents even begin talking to them about screen time? Mm. You know, I'm so glad you bring that up because as people can see in Screenagers and Screenagers Next Chapter, I personally was really struggling about how I was communicating with my kids about screen time. And so often I would just come in with this 
stab and grab kind of mentality, stab them with my eyes and grab whatever devices. And that wasn't working at all. And it's through all of this research that I've realized, and Sue, you you write so much about this in your magazine over the years, is the best tool we have when we're talking about teens and any topic, but particularly screen time, it's how we talk with our teens. And that's why um, the new book, the subtitle is A Guide for Calm Conversations, because how can we use science of communication to really get to them? And, and what I think it's so critical is that not only developmentally are teens at a time we know that are rightfully, you know, dif- differentiating from their parents and rolling their eyes at us, but the thing that's been really unfortunate to me is as a society, we're using such a strong scare tactic around screen time. You know, the headlines that say, devices are ruining a generation or schools when schools were in session that would bring in a police officer to kind of scare and shame them about, oh, everyone's cyberbullying. They really feel like adults just don't get it, right? They feel that more than they feel about a lot of things when it comes to screen time. And so therefore, there's so much defensiveness in the homes when it comes to you know, how are we going to have calm conversations about what is healthy screen time and how do we make sure it doesn't seep into all corners of our lives and negatively impact our time to develop our our human potential to the fullest and our relationships. So to me, that's why I got really interested in putting this all together in the book related to how we have more effective communications with our teens. Well, so we got to meet Tessa in your two movies. She was going through this as as a teenager, and you were trying to work with her on her use of technology. So what did you find was most effective with your kids? And what mm-hmm. did you find just really didn't work? <laughs> well, you know, with Tessa in this new film, Next Chapter, Screenagers Next Chapter, you know, she was really struggling emotionally with depression symptoms. And you know, you know how much was screen time related to it? Well, it, it wasn't by any means the cause of it. But as a parent, I was really worried about, you know, what she was seeing or what she was doing when she would be online. And I realized that I was so scared about what was happening and what she was seeing that I just kept coming to her with this really stressed mentality. And it wasn't until I really stepped back and started to validate And you see in the film, I learned how to really validate her feelings more effectively, but also to validate how for her going to a YouTuber at times and looking up what to do on a hard day was really important. It really shifted our conversation so that she started to show me things that she was looking up and it made for much richer conversations. The other thing that is so fascinating about all of this is as parents, I want to scoop in and say to them, you know, why don't you exercise more? Why don't you do this? You know, it helps your mental well-being. And I would say this to both my kids. And every time I stepped in to try to help it, it just made things worse and worse. And you see in next chapter this fabulous uh, research I discovered about a researcher who had been studying parents and teens exactly around this issue of when we 
step in and try to help, it actually physiologically lowers our stress as parents, but at the same time measurably increases the stress of our teens. Is that so bad? I thought that was I thought exactly. that was the whole goal of parenting. So I, I need to rethink this whole strategy actually now. Well, the moment we've increased their stress level, believe me, they just want to flee the room and not be around us. Even though we're and the and the thing is, often we are right, but are we being effective? And what really shifted for me seeing the science, and again, I'm I'm always trying to parent with integrity. And for me, that's really science-driven and obviously experience-driven of what's being effective, is I started to ask my teens much more in the, in the line of, hey, you know, I bet you have a lot of possible solutions for whatever problem they, I wanted to step in and try to fix. And I said, you know, it, when you let me know what you're thinking and I'm here to problem solve with you if you want my help. It's not easy to do. Believe me, my mother hen wants to run in and offer solutions all the time or to say what they should be doing around screen time. But instead, I've really worked hard to pull back on that, but also then to have calm conversations. As Sue, I know you know from my weekly blog, Tech Talk Tuesdays, how it's about setting up times for calm conversations because this is a really charged issue. But it's very much about learning to be engaged as parents. So often, you know, with my husband, he used to say, they just need to figure this out on their own. And I said, hmm, I think we're setting them up for failure. And sure enough, it's been an ongoing work to be able to create those times where we talk about the positives of screen time in our tech revolution, which there are plenty right now. Boy, aren't we lucky. And also to figure out, okay, what's working for all of us, what's not, and hey, let's check in about our family values and how that translates into the limits that we do set around screen time. Not a ton of them, but we definitely have Oh, so that just begs the next question, which was, should we still be setting them? Should we, is that a unilateral? A unilateral yes? (laughs) Yes, yeah. It's a unilateral Yes, with a caveat. I mean, if you have kids home from college, you know, that's going to look different than if you have a 14 or 15-year-old. The biggest message I'm, I'm working on because to get out into the world right now, because the data is newer and so profound, relates to the importance of sleep for our teens. In Screenagers Next Chapter, it it has some fascinating research around sleep. But I didn't include something that I, I think also is so important that parents know. That is that researchers have looked at interrupted sleep of teens, and they, they follow these teens who are interrupted by sleep for two weeks, and they compared their brain scans using functional MRIs to teens who were not sleep-deprived during those two weeks. And they literally start to see in the sleep-deprived teens abnormalities in the connectivity of the neuronal tracts. It means that we're somehow could be affecting in a negative way the brain development in ways we don't fully understand yet, but to me are concerning. Now, we already know short-term effects all the time increased chance of accidents from sleep deprivation, more risky behavior, missing school, as well as decreased concentration and worse in academics. So the list goes on. But what's been amazing to me during COVID 
is a number of teens that I have spoken with who have started because of their natural melatonin releases later, so they would be tired around 10, 30, 11. Instead, though, they've even pushed it further without their parents kind of being involved, unfortunately, often, not all the time. Lots of parents are still having devices out of the bedroom, but there is a big cohort who just kind of have gotten into the habit of staying up very late, playing video games or whatnot, and then literally telling me how they're missing their classes or not going. And it really does take the hard work of parenting to to talk about parenting with integrity, to value the development and the well-being of our kids, and that then to also value our kids' input. So, you know, maybe you decide that only during the week devices will be out of the bedroom and your kid, teen, really wants to have their devices on the weekend. Or maybe you really value that, and I hope so, that you guys work together to figure out what time devices will come out of the bedroom. So those are some areas that I think are particularly important, Important, but there, there are so many, and Sue, you know this. I mean, there's just hundreds of topics related to screen time and our teens. And it never ceases to me to amaze me. It's been five years now that I've written out this weekly column, and I could just continue to go on and on and on. There are so many important topics. So Delaney, that advice was so helpful. I get stumped when it comes to the communication part of it. Like I know what my goal is, but then I'm trying to figure out how do I say it. And you talk in your new book about communication science. Can you tell us what you've learned and how we can apply that with our teenagers? Well, as a physician in my training, I was always impressed the difference between those physicians who were just masters and would talk to a family and a patient and it would they were such masters of making everyone feel better and having really great conversations versus some physicians walked in a room started talking and everything went out the window and the family would just feel worse. So I was so intrigued by the power of our human ability to communicate with each other effectively and not effectively. I wanted to study this. So after my residency, I stayed on at UCSF to study and do primary research on what ways in challenging conversations humans are likely to be more effective and less effective. And so I've really brought this lens for the past nearly decade that I have been trying to get better myself and help other parents parenting around screen time very much is interwoven into this book about what are the ways that we work with our teens that are ineffective when we try to have conversations about something and what is more effective. And I can say that why I feel this is so important, not just about screen time limits and, you know, rules and issues like that, but all the challenging conversations that we have where teens so often might have run out the room or whatnot, how do we engage them in conversations about the risk of screen time related to inappropriate content? How do you actually talk to an eight-year-old about the reality that there might be porn that comes up? Or how do we talk? Well, let's move that. Let's move that to a twelve-year-old or a freshman in high school. And what's what is your single most effective tip for communicating strategy for communication strategies? First and foremost, we know from the science is the moment we start trying to engage in that conversation in the heat of the emotions that 
we are going to be far less effective than if we as the parent realize we have more connection to our regulatory system, our prefrontal cortex, and to remove ourselves from the room and get to a calmer place and definitely wait till our teen gets to a calmer place. And that, Sue, we, while we all know that from our experiences, to actually do it is really challenging so I think that it, that's the number one advice, but to continually really live up to that is takes ongoing work and reinforcement about why that works better, et cetera. That's really interwoven in, in the book and such a big, important topic. So we know that our teens are in constant contact with each other, and yet they're so lonely. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Can you help us understand? You know, it has me scratching my head. I'm so glad that you asked, you know, to ask that or, or bring that topic up because, you know, so often this, a lot of the research that we have around screen time are surveys of teens. And as a researcher myself, I'm always suspect, for example, if you take mental health issues, right, you know, how much more are a, is somebody likely to respond affirmatively because it's something that's talked about more and they're more comfortable doing it. Loneliness, to me, that's not, that hasn't had as much stigma, et cetera. So it is interesting to me that teens are reporting feeling more lonely over the past several years than they had in the past. And I think part of that is a perception issue in terms of that they're perceiving their loneliness much more acutely by seeing on social media friends together, whether that's using Snap Maps, which is very controversial, but be actually literally seeing their friends. I don't mean literally, but they can see on a map where they could be congregating, or they're seeing the pictures of when they post or just knowing the texts and whatnot that they hear about it. So I think that is a big reality that is going to heighten any sense already of a very strong emotion about being left out that is so heightened in middle and high school. So that you have these new triggers that I think would impact somebody, teen or tween, to write on a survey that they're feeling lonely more than in the past. Now, in terms of, and I write about this in the book, about, you know, how do we analyze, talk to our kids and about what kind of loneliness when they talk about that. Is it the feeling left out? Is it they don't have a good friend? They don't have as many good friends as they would think. So part of that that question you ask is indeed the launching point for some really good conversations. And your point is, do we have data? I mean, I think another point, whether you're asking this directly is, you know, given that they're on social media so much, even before COVID, you would love to know data on what percentage, you know, say they have a really good friend and how many that they can really trust and be themselves with in the past versus currently. And I have yet to be able to find that type of data. It it should be out there. And maybe I'm I'm missing some studies if, if you guys know of them. But I think that is something that we all worry about as parents, knowing that there are, particularly for low-income kids, far less ability for them to be spaces and programs for them to be together after school in ways of making those connections than we would like them to be. Granted, they are making some friends online, but even there, that most of them say that they're good friends Absolutely, they met in real life at school and different places of who they count as their truer friends. So obviously, technology is creating 
a sense of what you're not involved in. Like everybody else looks better. Everybody else is having more fun. That is going to impact even adults, how they feel about themselves. But there's another thing that, that social media is a vehicle for, which is going on there to say, I'm so sad. I feel lonely and terrible. This idea, which has been the phrase is, I think, sad fishing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so that is like such a terrifying concept because do you take it seriously? And what if it's just like that? Oh, I don't look good today so that everybody else is, tells you you look great. And what if you decide you're not going to take it seriously and it's really a cry for help? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think that what's really important is there is this idea out there that, oh, gosh, my teens, they just seem to kind of almost compete for who's the most stressed and who's the saddest. And to step back and to say, this is human nature, and particularly this time of life that they're in, that getting attention feels so important. And that sometimes they are going to even use their mental health as a way of seeing, do people care about me? And how do I get that attention? But to by no means kind of try to to completely thwart their attention about being honest about what they're feeling. And the key thing is really working with kids and teens so that you're having ongoing discussions about when people post those kind of things, how do you? And it is important to check in and to make sure that they know who they can talk to. And at times, even talking to that person's parent, alerting the school. Definitely when I talk to a lot of teens about these kind of things, very often they know that that is that person's way of communicating. And they really don't want parents kind of every sense, every time someone's saying they're sad to kind of step in. But we have to kind of keep reminding our kids and teens, like if this is a new thing this person is posting or coming to you about, and you're not so confident, and it's escalating, all these different things, then, you know, it's not just have a one conversation. It's a, it's an ongoing thing because teen years are so emotionally stressful. Delaney, what worries you the most right now? What worries me the most right now is that in the times of COVID, when we've had this screen saturation, that we are not going to do the work that's so important in what I call the big reset. And to turn that into a positive, I want to say that what gives me hope is that we, particularly as parents, and much more that I would love to see from the health and counseling type of professionals and teachers to come together and say, we know now that All kids are going to have some sort of device related to learning and that we know that for many people, they could not give resources to after-school types of programs and just make screens a continued babysitter, et cetera. And we know the five biggest companies in this country are all based on our attention on technology. But we know absolutely from all the science that ensuring that our kids and teens have healthy screen time, healthier at least when they use it, and plenty of time off of screens, we're going to organize, we're going to be at the front lines, and we're going to say when as things are coming back to a reset, when it's safe to all be together, that we are going to do the work and ensure that we're doing best by our kids in this 
world. Okay, what makes you hopeful? Well, I think that was kind of similar. That I think, you know, what what makes me hopeful is that working in mental health for many years and now parenting in mental health and parenting in screen time for the past decade, I can't tell you a more invested and strong group of people you have is parents. That we love our kids so much. And in that, I'm talking also about teachers who are parents, but also feel so much strength and love towards the students they teach, as well as the nurses and the counselors. When I feel that, and it doesn't matter from what background, I can't tell you what socioeconomic scenario, everybody does not want their kids to be all day long on screens. And they do, they want healthy and our kids to be feel competent and to have close in-person communication skills and relationships, and the list goes on. And I think it's that love that gives me complete hope. So we're going to end this with the same question we ask all of our guests, which is, what is the biggest myth about parenting teens? I would say that the biggest myth is that we just have to give them space and let them figure things out on their own. I think that that really concerns me with, particularly when it comes around their emotional life, their screen time. But how do we get engaged? How we do that effectively is is what motivates me every day. I think it's really important that we don't allow a mentality of just stand back, let them figure it out for screen time or whatever else it is. We're not doing our teens a favor when we do that mentality. Delaney Rustin, thank you so much for being our guest today. And we look forward to hearing about more about your book. Thank you so very much. Thanks for joining us for Your Teen with Sue and Steph. If you have any topics that you want us to talk about, let us know on our Facebook page or email editor at yourteenmag.com. Also, if you want to receive our newsletter, head on over to yourteenmag.com. Your Team with Sue and Steph is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producer Michael D'Aloya, plus producer Hannah Leach and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. If you like today's podcast, please leave us an iTunes review or send the episode to a friend. You can find more from us at yourteenmag.com, at evergreenpodcast.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. in Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty podcast.